Welcome to the Mission 300 podcast as we journey into the realities of who our Father is and who we are to Him. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. We are continuing a conversation about courage and what it what it means, why is it needed, and is is it even relative in our in our current modern world the way it's situated? I think it's interesting that courage really is seen the most in emerging in a type of warfare-like situation. And when I mean by warfare, I'm not referring to that we're always on a losing side, that we're being attacked, or it's even like a literal war where there's aircraft, machine guns, tanks, soldiers. I'm just talking about you stepping in with one idea in a noble cause or in, an, in, in a place of possession of something that's been given to you and there is a force that is resisting that from taking place. So if we put it into context like that, um, it really is kind of fit with Exodus because God actually had the same problem with his people. He knew the mindsets of the people and it's a little side note to note, God never makes someone think a different way. He'll do things to encourage it. He'll bring messages to inspire it, but he never makes someone think differently. So when we talk about the sovereignty of God just for a moment, God never changes a person's mind. He opens their eyes. He moves in their heart. But ultimately, a person has to make that choice. And we see this clearly in Exodus 13, 17. Pharaoh just said, you can take the people, you can leave, get out of the land. And it says, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds. That's really just a powerful statement. If they change their minds, we're going to be in trouble here. So unless perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So here it is. I'm going to take you from slavery into a promise, but there's going to be war there. And so I think this is where courage and the idea of it and the, and the spirit of it really start taking place. And again, in this conversation, I'm not talking about warmongering. I'm not talking about uh, God came to bring peace. All of those fit, but you have to realize we live in a hostile environment, uh, spiritually speaking, and sometimes naturally speaking. And there is a sense of a good and an evil, and there is the complexities of people's fears, people's anxieties, people's confidences, people's, we have people involved. So all of that starts affecting on the hearts and the minds of everyone around them. And so when we're dealing with courage, it's coming to those core bedrock foundation pieces that we can act on because it's interesting that the promises of God are in, have an enemy. Even in Psalm 23, as we used last time, the table is prepared in the presence of your enemies. So we have to have this connotation and this concept that we live in a world that has an enemy that's against you. So this idea of courage really becomes a pivotal point in order for you to take your identity and your strength and really seize the things that have been laid out in front of you and the promises that have been given. But you have to know something is going to try to stop that from happening. Therefore, that is my definition of living in a world that's at war. And I think you also have to be aware that the expectation of courage only comes after you've grown into a position where you can handle it. So in that example of the Israelites leaving that you mentioned, God brought them a certain way because he knew that going a different way would not be beneficial. And so it's not like he threw them out into something and said, well, if you guys can't handle it, then 
you're going to have to try again, or you're just, you're weak and you're going to be punished because you can't handle what I'm throwing at you or what the world's throwing at you. He actually leads us in ways that will develop our strength, develop our identity so that we can step out in courage with the things that are around us. And I think that's really important to keep in mind because a lot of times we can feel very secluded or very alone or very, I guess, unequipped to deal with a situation because we don't think we have what it takes. But to know that your father sees exactly who you are and he's put it in you to be able to handle what's in front of you. And so from that, it's it's a little bit easier to be able to step out and courage that way, I'd say. So with that thought process, because that is a great perspective, because there is a part where you're just growing, you're learning things, you don't even know what to act on. But there does come a point where your identity and your strength are being grown and matured. But we can still keep finding reasons why I don't step into the thing or, or do the act I know I should be doing that would not only change my life, but would benefit the lives of others. And that could also become almost a scapegoat from ever doing anything. Because if you really realize it, the Israelites that left never got to go to the promise because they would never believe. So I think there is this transition point of his mercy and him knowing what our nature is, but there does come a point where you have to step away from what you think about yourself and to step into something bigger. So both those pieces are being played in. But again, like we talked about last week, it all deals with motive. Mm -hmm. So we're really dealing with the motive of the heart of why one person, because Joshua and Caleb were ready to go right away. It was just the other whatever something million people that said no. So it's very interesting how that shaped. But we found out later they never changed their mind. So why didn't they? I think that absolutely speaks to perspective and identity because you can have the same situation, but your perspective will determine how you approach it and how you react to or respond to a situation. So all those spies went in, they saw the same things. Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that acted out of courage and said they could do this, that we can take the land, it's been given to us, we can actually overcome what is there. And the people that saw a different way, they saw that for the rest of their lives. So it didn't matter if the circumstances changed. There was always something that kept them afraid. There was always some reason, some excuse to not want to step into the promise. And I think that applies to a lot of us today. There's, If your perspective is, well, I can't do this because of this, or I know this is on my heart to do, but I can't because of this then it won't matter when the circumstances change around you. You're going to still feel the same way. And so it's not enough for us to try to focus on changing the environment or getting the moment right, because if our heart's not in the right place, then we're not going to respond the right way, no matter how the circumstances change. So do you think it's more about our perspective of who we are in a given situation that determines our response and if we step out in strength and courage or is it more about us being ready for something that comes along? I think that's an, a great question because I don't think we're ever ready to give up what we have for something bigger. But there is this place of um, transition where we're growing into what we actually are. And I think it's interesting. Um, there was a author, and his name is Nolan Peterson. He wrote this book called Why Soldiers Miss War. 
And it's really fascinating. And he was a journalist and he went up into um, Tibet and he worked with, he spent time with the guerrilla fighters that were fighting the Chinese back in the 50s. And some of the conversations that came out were really fascinating. One of the questions he asked, he said, you guys are Buddhists and don't believe in war. You believe in peace. How is it that you formed an army to go fight and were willing to fight against the Chinese? And he said, because there was an underlying value that finally emerged in our minds, you're taking what is ours. And so someone has to rise up against it. So I think this really ties into this question. What, they, what the children of Israel saw as theirs was Egypt. What God saw as theirs was the promise. He never saw Egypt as theirs. And so is this really this conflict of values that when you, you're, they weren't really fighting for something, they really just wanted to go back home but not have any problems anymore. They're fighting for a problem-free life. They wanted their life insulated from the problems of the world. And that is slavery because the only way to do that is to exchange that for freedom. And it's interesting, you watch cultures and regimes Something was said once as a regime rises um, under Stalin, they said, you can't take away everything from the people or they'll revolt. So you give them just enough to hold on to that pacifies them to allow you to do what you're going to do. And that was Egypt. So they had enough to pacify them. They had enough of familiarity, what was theirs. And it's that transition to what is something bigger and that, that possession of ownership and they couldn't get to that place because they weren't, they didn't, the promise wasn't theirs. But to Joshua and Caleb, the promise was theirs. So they were fighting for that promise. And so it's just a really interesting uh, divide when we're dealing with the heart of culture and the heart of courage. But it really flows into the Israelites really saw themselves as slaves and servants of Egypt. And so they couldn't mentally, they had struggled breaking out of that. And so I think with your first assessment that this was a merciful thing, that God didn't take them that way. He took them another way, which proved some benefit. But even after they went the, the, the new way and they saw the power of God and they saw the waters part and they saw the manna from heaven and they saw the, the cloud of fire by night to keep them warm and the cloud of uh, to keep them cool during the day. Their sandals never wore out. There was no sick among them. They took all the wealth of Egypt. I mean, here they have pretty much everything <laughs> right at their hands to bring into the promise, but they couldn't mentally change that they were still servants of Egypt. And so this really was, this really was where the warfare began. And unfortunately, that's what breeds fear. They were afraid of dying. And it's, it's interesting when I, when I say dying, I'm not even referring to physical death. They were afraid of dying to that old way because it's all they knew. It was the bedrock of their whole life for generation after generation. That is what they knew. And so now they're taking it something new and it's so foreign to their mind that they would rather go back. And I think this is very common and it's also a very big danger of a culture when we just become passive to the things that are around us and we never take small little stances, wait a second, that, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me, and you can't take this away from somebody else where that, those sparks of courage start emerging during that process. So do you think there's an aspect to all of this where you have to take something up and receive it? It's not just something that can be done to you, because we see a lot of the Israelites, in our example here, not stepping into that promise. 
but we also see people that were part of their same culture, their same upbringing, grew up being told they were slaves, that did take that next step and take the promise. And we see a lot of times in the scripture this idea of taking courage, and that's just something we use today even, take courage. And I was actually studying this a bit. In the Greek, when it says to take courage, that word's kind of interesting because it's also used and translated as receive or catch something. And so, and actually they, the Simon uses it when uh, he's talking to Jesus and he says, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. It's that same word when they say take courage. And so there's this aspect in the definition of the word where it's something that has to be provided and brought to you, but you also have to take it up yourself. And so on one hand, it's not something that can be force-fed to you. I mean, I don't, I don't think we ever see God doing that to people where he just force-feeds them courage and makes them this mighty person. But it's something that's brought to you as a gift almost, but you also have to take it up and receive it. And so it, it kind of seems like there's this these two sides to this thing, and do you think maybe that's where some people in our examples, they miss the whole point because it's offered and brought to everyone as an option, but not everyone takes it up for whatever reason. We'll take a look at forgiveness just for a minute. So forgiveness is a gift, but some people are still trying to get forgiveness or they hold unforgiveness towards someone else because they haven't apologized. They haven't done these things to earn their forgiveness. And I think sometimes we think we have to earn something and arrive at that point in order to possess it from the context of I'm not worthy of it yet, but one day I will be. And that isn't possessing at all. That's a hope of it could come. And if you're hoping for it to come, it hasn't come yet, which basically said everything Jesus did on the cross was a waste because it hasn't come yet. One day it will come. And so it's, it really is a kind of a dishonor to what Jesus did when he gave something. So the word take and receive are possession words. And if you look at Joshua, he, he was told to possess the land. You take it, you own it, it's yours. Don't, you're not going in as a guest, clearing out trails for something that is not your possession. You, you are possessing that land. It wasn't a humanitarian work of just reestablishing a new colony and then they were going to leave and other people could go move in. It was theirs. And I think when a promise comes, just like with Abraham, he possessed that promise that he would be a father of many nations. Therefore, something was birthed. But it wasn't a, that's why he says, I hoped against hope. It wasn't a natural hope, like maybe one day it will come. It was a different kind of inspiring hope, knowing it had been spoken, and it was just a matter of time for that to unfold, but it became his. He possessed that role even before he had his first son. And so we see that in this. But without that element, but it comes back to identity. There, when the children of Israel's identity was in Egypt, they possessed only the familiarity and the customs and the way of living that they had in Egypt. But they didn't own the land. It wasn't theirs, and they were servants of that land. So it's, it's very interesting, the mindset that's going on, yet now he's going to make them rulers over a land. And that was just too far for them to go. And so God was trying to do everything to persuade them, here's what I'm going to give to you. This is how I see you. This is what I'm giving. I am going to be the provider, and I'm going to make you my children, and I'm going to place you in a land. And that just, it, it, it didn't compute. They were so locked into an old way of thinking. And so 
it's very interesting. I saw this in Second Timothy. Uh, Paul's talking to Timothy, and he's giving him his charge, and he makes this comment in chapter 9 and 10, and he said that he suffered trouble. Paul was saying, I suffered, suffered trouble as an evildoer. In other words, what I am now, who I am, everything that I possess now, people look at it as evil, and so they treat me as an evildoer. So I've been suffering because I'm going contrary to a belief that they once had. He, did, he wasn't even because he just was speaking it. It was because of who he was. And now he was bringing that to other people. And it says in verse 10, Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of. So I, I think that's a very important statement. I endure these things. I step in any way for the sake of something bigger than myself. And I think that is the hardest transition of self-protection to true promises and true freedom and true liberty and true uh, possession of things that have been provided for us will all come at the cost of letting go of self in order to receive this greater thing. When we see that in the charge given to Joshua too, at the at the beginning of his rule, I guess you could say, when he takes over after Moses, that the instruction given to him isn't really for him, it's for the people. And even in, in um, when he's given that charge, um, I've commanded you, be strong and of good courage. And we see that, and it seems like a, a command from a boss, but it actually means more that I've been instructing you in the ways of courage. And that's such a cooler picture, but on that same note, you've been instructed in these ways of courage for the people because you're leading them to something bigger. And I think that even ties into, you know, last time we were talking about how that inspires other people. It's not just for you to rise up and do something. It's also for you to inspire others to walk that same path, to, to do the things that they know they should do. They've got this desire to do in their heart, and you can be the one that leads and sparks them into that same kind of courage and that same kind of strength. And I think that's something so cool that we need to keep an eye on because we're not, we're not called to be passive people. And I, I don't mean that we are called to be aggressive people in the way that we use that word, but you are meant to blaze a trail, and that might not be as a as a outgoing person or as an extrovert, but you are meant to be someone who is strong and confident and courageous in what you are called to be, in your personality as it is, in the way that your Father has made you, and not just the way that He sees you, but the way that you actually are. And so like we see Joshua doing there's an ownership of that because it wasn't just for him, okay, I know God sees me this way, and so now I'll try to live up to that standard. It's that there is a word spoken over me of this is what I am, and so now I'm walking that out. And it does take an intentionality of stepping up and being courageous to do that, but it is, again, so cool to see that that's something that's been provided for us, that God has given you that spirit of courage. In fact, it, it like in Ephesians, it talks about how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, and I think a lot of times we we kind of take that verse and think of it as some, you know, someday in heaven thing, or in some spiritual sense that I can't understand thing, but it's not talking about that whatsoever. It says you've been given every blessing in the Spirit, and in the context of the New Testament, we're told that we live by the Spirit now. And so he's essentially saying, you've got everything in you that you need. And so you're looking at this circumstance, this situation in front of you right now. You have everything in you that you need to handle it. 
You have every ounce of strength, every ounce of courage that you need to be an overcomer in this situation. All that's left for you is to accept that, take it up, and walk it out. So now we have to flip that switch because that's the switch point. That, that, that is probably the hardest part of the whole entire process. I thought it was interesting in that same book when they were interviewing um, the, the rebel fighters in Afghanistan, the Kurdish fighters, when they were interviewing Iraqi soldiers, or excuse me, uh, U.S. soldiers that were fighting Iraqis during the Iraq war, when they're interviewing the, the, um, to, the Tibetan rebels that were fighting against the Chinese invasion. And this was summarized in this air commander's words, because combat feels a lot different when you're not just worried about your own life or getting a good story. It's a lot different when your actions decide the fate or your comrades in arms, as well as whether innocent civilians caught in harm's way will live and die. In other words, once you're in that moment, it's, it's, there's so many other factors. Every decision we make affects the lives of other people, whether we realize it or not. Every action we make affects the lives of people. Every inaction affects the lives of people. I mean, we're really at this pivotal point. So if you've been given something, it just becomes a point, God, if, if you've given me all these things, and this is what I, I believe in my heart I should do with it, how do I make that switch and that transition? And I think the fear is, we calculate what we may lose in it, but we don't calculate what we may gain in it. And that is that transition point. And it becomes very critical. And that's courage to have heart. You're no longer thinking about yourself. I like it. Even Timothy, a few verses earlier, uh, or excuse me, Paul tells Timothy, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, he's trying to make the metaphor of what a soldier's was like. My, my life is not entangled with myself. I have to be free from all that in order for me to make a good decision. And therefore, I'm in Christ, so I'm not in what I used to be. And just from just a simplistic point of view, it's just like... Um, Anything that we do, whether you're on the job, whether you're in life, you're working with your kids, you're making decisions all the time. And there is some point of evaluation. Am I making that because it's easier for me or am I making that because it's better for the my kids? Am I making that because it's easier for me or am I making that because it's better for the company? Am I making that decision because it's better for me or am I making that decision because it's going to benefit uh, something else? And that really is probably the biggest warfare right there. Just that simple decision, those pieces of doing a courageous act that will positively affect other people, but you may cost you everything. And again, I'm saying all this and some people are listening going, I didn't sign up for this to go. And I thought this was just going to be God's grace, his love for me, peace, all those things. But once you become solid in that, you're going to start looking at life differently. And there will become points where you start stepping in and you're not, you actually aren't thinking about what it's going to cost you because the gain is so much better. That's what Joshua and Caleb saw. They saw the gain so much better. Even the first time Moses comes and he kills the servant in Acts 7, he talks, that story is repeated. And basically the, the children of Israel saw Moses as an arrogant person trying to meddle in their life. And that was the farthest thing from him. But see, he was a free man 
and they were servants. They, they struggled with that view of things. And that's why even in identity and strength, don't be a victim. It's not somebody else's fault. It's just own what you can within that and start walking that out. That really is at the heart of being courageous. The moment you quit blaming, the moment you forgive is a part of being courageous. So yeah, just to refresh from the last podcast, I think we mentioned it on, but I told you the two story, the story of the two monks and they're on this little six hour pilgrimage. They had to be in silent. They came to a river. There was a woman getting ready to go to a wedding was in her gown, but they had to cross a river. The one monk lets her get on his back, crosses the river so her gown doesn't get wrecked, drops her off, and both monks end up going back on their journey. And that those were acts of courage. He saw something that was bigger than himself, than his own vows, that would free someone else or to benefit someone else, but he let go of it at that point. His identity didn't become attached to it, but the onlooker kept it. They were more concerned with with the technicality of what happened than the reality of the benefit. And again, he wasn't doing a moral problem. It was just a vow a monk would make at that moment. So it was more of a personal vow, not a moral judgment call or an ethics judgment call. It was just a personal piece. And I think this is where courage comes in because Jesus did this kind of stuff all the time. He technically, according to man's view, violated the law, but according to the spirit of the law, he absolutely fulfilled it. He walked courageously in all of his events. And I think we see the same thing in sports today. I'll use basketball as an example because that's kind of my arena. You'll see people come into the league, rookies come in, and you'll see a focus on you know, I want to be the best player I can be. And that's a great focus for them to have at that time. But once players mature a bit, the focus shifts in practicality to wanting to win a championship. And you'll see them actually sacrifice salary, personal accolades, stats, playing time in order to get to a championship. And in fact, the best players, whenever there's a debate on, you know, the top 10, top 50 players of history, one thing that always comes up that separates players from each other is who made their teammates better. Who made the people around them better by what they did on and off the court. And that's something that takes a lot of courage because to make someone else better, it means you're giving up something that you could use for yourself. So if you pass the ball when you could shoot it, you're giving up a stat. I mean, technically you could be getting an assist, but that's kind of just splitting hairs there. But you're sacrificing something that you could use to lift yourself up to better the team. And that's an aspect of courage that needs to be understood. And it's and it's not from a perspective of, you know, you're losing your identity, you're just becoming this drone that is just part of the collective. It's nothing crazy or stupid like that. But it's there's a level of of maturity and strength that comes around where you're not so concerned about scoring the points yourself or rebounding everything yourself. You're concerned with what's going to bring about a championship because that's the ultimate goal. And that's what separates the great players because there's tons of people that can fill up the stat sheet and their team's going nowhere. And there's a lot of reasons for that, sure. But at the end of the day, you see greatness in people when they're willing to sacrifice something of themselves for something greater. And that's inspirational, and that's courage, that's courageous. So I was kind of wondering, we mentioned this a bit before, but what do you think is a solution or 
or an avenue for people that might feel like they don't have a trigger that flips that switch we were talking about, that changes them into the examples of these courageous people we were talking about? What if there's someone out there that's just, they don't feel like they have that switch to be flipped? I don't know if I could fully answer that question, but I can just throw out a couple of ideas. And I think it's, again, important that we simplify this down because I love using examples of soldiers and warriors and athletes and those different things. But what are just about the common person that could just be um, working hard, doing great, supporting their family, is a plumber or just normal family stuff that you see around? Where where does courage emerge in that and how does the flip the switch get flipped there? I think that really is where the rubber meets the road because that's what we live in every day. We go back to who we are. Where's my identity come from? I'm actually not a plumber. I'm a son of God that plums. I'm not just a housewife, which is the hardest job on the planet, by the way. It's easier to go to work. Um, I'm not just a a mom and and a housewife or whatever you want to define that, a a domestic goddess, whatever that, that word is. That is a very courageous act because your whole life is taking a value system that you possess and you're choosing to live out what that value system. And it sometimes conflicts with other people and you hear the words and you hear their views. And I think the courage is to stay to what you possess and keeping things simple. And you start looking around you of what you already have. Maybe you think you're missing a bunch of pieces. If I had these things, I could be courageous. If I had these things, then this would be different. If I wasn't in this situation, then I could do that. No, in every situation, you can own something. You can own something about your life that you could start making decisions based on that thing. And will you have opposition? 100%. That's what I meant by warfare at the very beginning. There's always opposition for you to stand for what you believe is true and what is strong. And that's the courageous act. And it takes place in everyday life. Again, just saying no to your kids sometimes is courageous because you don't want to feel the blowback of their negative opinion of you for a moment. Now, some people have gotten so used to that, they just don't care what their kids think. But I'm just talking about a normal, healthy relationship where you value your kids, you love your kids. And there's times you have to say no, and they're not happy about it. And you feel the weight of that decision, and they don't think well of you for a couple hours. But that's courageous, because in the long term, it has a bigger benefit. It could even just be on the job, where something comes along ethically that you're asked to do. And to compromise that, you could turn your head, and you can get promoted, and you can move up the chain, but you choose not to for that one piece. And it could cost you your job. Now you're starting over again. And the, the, remember I said at the, on the first episode that courage has a sense of hope. Here's what we have to know. If I do the right thing at some point, the dividends of this will be much greater. But it may not be for a while. It may feel like you go completely the opposite direction, but there's something in you being formed. And when you stay in the confidence of that, that is courageous. And you'll see those people end up rising up later, way beyond what they could have been. And it is so funny how they will say, if it wasn't for that event that I didn't like to do, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so courage does have a self, a a, a place of self-development and it does bring more honor to you but it now you start crossing over you don't care about it anymore which probably is why the honor comes most people Mm -hmm. aren't honored when they're looking to be honored 
it's they're honored when they're not looking to be honored and they don't understand why you're even doing that. I think that's exactly it. When you're looking at what does it look like for me as an individual to be courageous, it has to start from what your identity is, what you're actually called to. Because the problem for some people, and you know, I've dealt with this mindset myself, is you you feel this pressure to try to show you're something based on a different value system. So let's say I'm just supposed to be a plumber. Well, why are you saying just a plumber? Because you've got a value system that's been set up by the world or some exterior thing that says this occupation or this calling or whatever you want to label it is valued at this level. And there are things that are valued higher than that. And so if you want to be courageous or step out in importance and what you're supposed to do and change the world, then you need to do something that's higher up on this value system. And we get caught in that feeling, never once questioning why we're adhering to that value system in the first place. Because it would actually be pretty arrogant or stupid for someone that is designed to be one thing, to leave that behind and try to become something that they are not because that's what the world labels as more important or more courageous or more valuable. So we've got to get our value system lined up in the right place. And once we have that, there's this peace that just comes over you once you understand what you are in that kingdom. And that's that's where it talks about a peace that passes understanding. You can't expect other people to understand it if they don't have that mindset. But if if your value system's lined up in that way and you see who you actually are in the kingdom, then it becomes a lot easier to just walk in that. And that's actually what, when, when it talks about encouraging someone, that's what the word actually means, to bring courage to them where they are at. So not to try to instill a different sense of bravery or courage on someone, but to bring courage to them. That's really good. And I, I, I'm going to just throw this quick little story out that I heard from Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. He was talking about how we how we look at things. And again, courage is not all, it, it's an aspect of it, but it isn't just a Martin Luther King or a soldier or something so life-threatening per se. But it does just take place in everyday life. And it could be just coming up with you have an idea to do something. But society and the world around you deems it as not valuable. So there was this pig farmer in Nevada, right outside of Las Vegas, near all the casinos. And so he went in and worked out a deal. He got all the throwaway food from the casinos. And that's what he used to feed his pigs. Brilliantly smart, because the cost of that was nothing. So he brought in all the food, and he found out there was so much protein in the food, because that's what everybody threw away. And so his pigs just thrived. Well, today, someone offered to buy his pig farm for $60 million. Well, first of all, that wasn't his dream job, right? He didn't aspire one day that he was sitting down as a kid and goes, you know, one day I'm going to be a pig farmer. You know, I mean, that, those aren't those, those big dream things. But within what was sitting in front of him, he owned it, and then he saw opportunity, and it just went against the cultural grain. He, it went against the main ideas. And he brought up another example of a, a dairy farmer that makes more money selling pots made from cow manure to Walmart than he does from the milk from the cows. And it's a multi-million dollar company now. And I'm just saying, you you take what's in front of you, that's truly taking a crappy situation and, and turning it into a flower. I mean, it really, 
but that takes courage too, because who, who would have thought that would work? What's the risk in that? That's not, that goes against the norm. Just coming up with new ideas that go against, those are courageous acts too, because it benefits a lot of other people. They also received a benefit. But who would have thought a dairy farmer could be successful like that? Who would have thought a, a pig farmer could be successful like that? Just in natural terms. So that's just natural terms. And I think those are courageous thoughts that we step into, but it goes against the grain of our conventional thinking. How much more when we discover the gifts that have been bestowed on us through a life in Jesus Christ, but yet we still, even in Christendom, spend more time talking about what we're going to have versus what's already been given because there's this fear of saying, I own that right now. I own for... I don't own it like I provided it, but I received it, so I possess forgiveness. I possess life. I possess grace. I possess those things. Now what is that doing in my life? But there is a mental fear of saying I possess that because then I'm going to be looked at as arrogant or whatever, and I'll be looked at as treated almost like Paul. I suffer trouble as an evildoer, and we have to be willing to walk that line, and that's really what courage is. But at the end, it's so much better than what you were. As we're wrapping it up here, I just want to encourage you guys in everything we've been talking about the last couple of weeks here, whatever your area is, whatever your situation is, you've got what you need to handle it, to thrive in it. And stop trying to look at validation from a world system that puts labels on things. Stop trying to see things the way they've always been done. Just try to see things the way that your father sees them. Because that's what you're created in. That's your identity. That's where your strength comes from. That's where your courage comes from. And when we focus on that, when we let that sink in, it's amazing how much more of an impact we have on everyone around us, ourselves, family, communities. It's just crazy to see the kind of impact that a courageous person stepping into who they are can have, even if it's something that might be considered behind the scenes, in the background, it doesn't matter. I mean, you don't get a house without a strong foundation, but no one ever goes and looks at the bricks under the ground. It doesn't need to be flashy. So whatever you are, whatever you have in front of you, handle it as a son would, as a daughter would. And uh, we'll be here next week to keep on this series. We appreciate you guys tuning in. You can hit us up on social media, on Facebook. You can go to outboundlife.org. You can comment on the podcast. And we'll be back to do it again next week.